to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters have been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. Marconi played the Mamba. Listen to the radio. Don't you remember? We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll. We have DM That's Dave living up to his title as the rock and roll DM. <laughs> we built this city. Except uh, we said rock and roll with rolling. This time we mean rolling dice. Yes. Who counts the gold pieces underneath the bar? That's the question. <laughs> I know in Skyrim I stole every single one. <laughs> every gold piece on, underneath the bar in Skyrim, I found them. I took every single one of them. I screwed my one Hilarious. game because I attacked the uh, the barter guy, the merchant guy. I decided to, so I could never go back to his shop then, and I couldn't sell anything. <laughs> Usually, there's other one. merchants. You can go to other merchants. You just gotta <laughs> you just gotta pay that fine, or do your time in jail, or escape <laughs> popo, and you can go to other. You know, there's other cities. There's a lot of cities in that game. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun, a great RPG to play? Role-playing, serving your time in the, the pen. That's freaking great. In the can. There you and are. It's real that's, time, that's, too. What made Skyrim, that's what made Skyrim different. Yeah, not a tabletop RPG, but I got to say, the number of weird, mundane things that game included was my—I I, I loved it. <laughs> Including the ability to kill your shopkeepers. But if you kill your shopkeepers, bringing this around to what we're talking about today— we, do you lose an essential member of the town? And in, to wit, what needs to be in a town for you to have a functioning RPG town your players can run through? And that's where we're coming from today. That's why Dave was singing in that Jefferson Starship. We yes. built this city. Rock and roll! <laughs> so how do we build our cities? How do we build our towns? And this actually comes to us from a listener question. Because as you know, if you've been a longtime listener... Tony hates building towns, so we have advised hates. you to never do this before. Well, Tony has. I've built, I've built several towns in my days. One of my hobbies. Absolutely. But it, it is. It can be a wormhole to fall down. But here's the listener question. The, the listener question from uh, one of our Instagram followers, Jedi Shocker. I know you've said in previous podcasts to avoid building a town when it's not needed. How do you build out a town or city when you do need to? What needs to be in there? I'm asking because my campaign. The players are key members of a guild that has been given control of a mostly abandoned older city, and they're bringing it back to its former glory between adventures. So it sounds like he's got a little bit of a of a fallout, build your town, your homestead kind of thing going on here, too. Mm. But yeah, Jedi Shocker's question is, how do you build a town or city when you have to? And I think we can, I think we can caveat here. Yeah, let's, let's set aside you know, stealing it. I mean, what, we could talk a little bit about just stealing it from Watsi somewhere else. But how do you I deal? prefer not to talk about politics, though. Kit Pash. Kit Pash it. <laughs> Rename well, it. Well, guys, I, I've done this a few times, but let's start with uh, with your experiences. I mean, when you want to build a city, when you want to build a town, what do you do? Well, there's two different things that immediately pop to mind here. The first is when you look at a whole city, there's a lot of potential plot threads going on. So you don't want to just spam everybody with everybody's and everything has a story and 
this is going on. This person's talking to you and that person needs something. And before you know it, you're an hour into the city and your players have 43 open quests in their lock. But that That's is so successful great. in every video game right now. Like, that is exactly <laughs> how video games build their towns. You're saying we shouldn't build our tabletop RPGs like our video games? Well, you know, if you're playing by yourself and you want to, you know, be up to four in the morning delivering shirts from one town to another for a merchant to get 11 gold, that rocks. Okay, that that's fantastic. But the other six players may want to gouge their eyes out with a fork rather than watching you complete that quest. Also, my second part to this is when you're shopping in this town, you have to ask yourself, what are you going to put forward from a philosophical standpoint? And what I mean by that is, there's a general store. Am I going to role play everyone buying everything in great detail? Or I'm like, hey, this is what's available. You can shop here. And then I'm going to describe. Yes, in yes I will. Yes, I will. That's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> in greater depth, the more important NPCs, the more prominent ones. So basically your recommendation is don't overwhelm them. Build the bits you need. Ad lib the rest if it comes up. Well, I mean, like, first of all, right off the top, you have to answer. People could start coming at you and asking questions like, well, how many people are in this town? What are we talking? 80? Is it an old West town? Or is it like a Greek palace with like 3,500 people? Who's the mayor? How many guards are they? Do they have a fire department, a library, a wizard's tower? And some people may not give a rat's ass about any of that. So just, just before we move on here, what do you think does need to be in there? Things connected to your plot points. The places where you're going to do plot drops places where you're going to assume, hey, they're going to go to, air quotes, the inn, they're going to stay, they're going to meet a key NPC, places that will have opportunities to pick up information. Those are valuable. And you should have ideas generally planned on the fringes, but I personally have gotten lost planning everything on every street and every block, and it's insanity. Don't do it. What do you think, Dave? Do you embrace the insanity, or do you, do you go Tony's way? No, I think that there's a nice medium ground. And if uh, if we're going to throw out the idea of kit bashing, which is – that's fine. But – They so, could talk about it. I but just, totally kit bashing. Well, but, I think you, you could talk kit bashing. <laughs> I'm just – you know, the easiest answer here is you grab a town from Watsi. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit because that right. is kind of how I got my start DMing. Yeah. But that's the easy answer, right? Sure. So, like, I mean, you definitely can talk kit bashing, but let's just skip past, okay, you grab someone's town from something else and pop it in your game. Exactly. You need to have to build that, right? It. Right. Now, Tony did, made a good point, and it's right in the question, too. Is it a town or is it a city? Because yeah. those are real different. Because if I got a seaside shanty town, I only need a couple things because there's only going to be a couple things. I only have if 15 buildings. Right. If it's a city, if it's Waterdeep, right? I mean, we've all seen that map that Watson released of Waterdeep. It's fucking ludicrous, right? Like, there's no way in which you can you can make an entire 1 to 20 campaign just Waterdeep because underneath it is, what, I think the Dungeon of the Mad Mage or some shit. So, like, you'll never leave, right? Isn't that, where the, awning, correct. Isn't that where the awning portal is? Or no, it's also correct. that, too, uh, yeah. No, is that? I think it yes, might be Waterdeep. Yeah, there's a secret yeah. Lords of Waterdeep. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. Do you want to release your own box set? Go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's a good point, uh, whether it's a town versus a city, but then – a couple questions make me decide what needs to be in there. What do the players, what are they there for? And are they the type of people that look like, for instance, the Curse of Strahd group that look in every drawer and go behind each door? Or are they, okay, we got to come in, get our plot quest and, and head on? 
that's going to change it very much. And I would say it's a difference between the old school. So I'll say the village of Hamlet type of idea where guy guys literally built out every single building, every single house where the gold was. It was under the floorboards. It takes this much to get into the floor because that's who his players were. They were going to break into every house and steal shit, right? So <laughs> that's his type of players, as opposed to your now much more 5e type of town where you open any adventure book. And what do you see in the town? You see a couple taverns and in and maybe like the temple or wherever the quest is going to come from. So they throw a couple things out. They don't tell you about what all the houses are doing because you don't need them at that time. And that's stuff that you could easily improv on the fly. So you need, like Tony said, some of those very specific plot point structures or meeting places within which rumors or quests can be given. And then you build it out from that point. So for me, and one of the ways I got started in DMing actually was not with one of the open campaign box sets. My first experience in second edition was I had the City of Greyhawk box. Yeah. yeah. So the game that we launched, I mean, I played a little bit from Mold Bay Basic. I also I did I did some of that. So that's I believe Keep on the Borderlands I'd gone through mm-hmm. a little bit. But yeah, it was I actually want to go back to that because I barely remember. But I remember something <laughs> stick out. I would like to go back to it. But more than that, like, so my first campaign, really successful campaign, ran the play characters up to level 20. This is the one that wound up with the breeding terrasque. So, yeah, we, we, we had some power creep issues. But it started from just the City of Greyhawk box set. So I had this entire city that is an almost entirely mapped. It's entirely mapped out and almost entirely described in the box set. But what I don't have is anything outside of it. So my first experience DMing was you guys are in a town. There are things I know are outside because they mentioned, oh, this is off to the east. This is off to the west. I start them in town. They're exploring the town. And then they're saying, okay, I want to go check this out. I want to go check that out. And then I improv what's there. Mm-hmm. So my initial experience as a DM was I have a very detailed town you're in where you can do stuff and get rumors and get involved in things. But then outside of town, I'm ad-libbing. And that's where all the most of the adventures happen. So I kind of started from that point of view of having a a town that was the center of my adventures and then seeing one that was really well done. City of Greyhawk is a very well done city. Like that is a, it's a great city to, to, to play it. And what I really learned from that was there's kind of, there's a few things you really want in your city or town. One, I always do think about where is the economy? Just, you don't need to go deep into it, but you want to know, okay, where are they getting their food from? Where do they make their money from? Is this a logging town like the like Woodstock and the Woodstock Wanderers? Is this, uh, is this basically the city where all the local farms bring their stuff to sell it? And that's why it's, why it's there. And then, so I just say, I, I want to sketch that out. And I want to sketch out who runs the town and how do they police it? Because obviously, if the players get into shenanigans, they're going to run into the police. So I want, I want that. I want the town structure. The next thing I want is I put in the shops and the you know, inns and the stuff that the players are going to interact with. You need some of those. And City of Greyhawk actually had three levels of them. It had a low quarter, a medium quarter, and a high quarter, and then where the where the kind of the main keep was, which is where the royalty was. And each of those kind of had their own. Well, this is the cheap in. This is the medium in. This mm. is where all the rich merchants go to stay. So like you a little bit of variety depending on how deep you want to get. If it's a town, it probably has one in. If it's a city, you might have a couple. You could add in a little variety that way. But I wanted the I wanted the shops and the inns and the places where the players are going to go because. When the player comes back in town, first thing they want to do is go sell their stuff, see if they can buy new stuff, see if they can learn new stuff. So that's usually what they're interacting with. 
And then the most important part of a good town, because those are the basics. That's what you need to interact with, right? You need to kind of know who your town guard is. That's just the basics. Then the most important thing is your town has to have surprises because that's what makes towns fun. You're, you're like, like Tony was saying, or like both of you were saying, Waterdeep has the Dungeons of the Mad Mage underneath. It's also got like a hundred other surprising things. There's a silver dragon wandering around that town <laughs> disguised, as a, disguised as a noble. There's the gem cloaks. There's Elminster showing up out of nowhere, like all the time to recruit adventurers to go do stuff. Like, Who is not Gandalf? <laughs> not Gandalf at all. No. Any any similarity is entirely unintentional, and Ed Greenwood would take that to his grave. <laughs> but so you want because that is really what makes a fantasy town a fantasy town, right? Because it sounds like, oh, I'm going to build a town. Okay, you get an inn, you get a shop, you get a police force, you get a mayor. Yeah. Okay, it's there. It's lame. The players can do their stuff elsewhere. A good town isn't lame. A good town has layers. Like an ogre, you that. Yeah. <laughs> like an ogre, a good town has layers, like an onion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. it has to it has to definitely create so it has to either have adventure within it in a way, or adventure comes to it in some fashion. Or it has to have something interesting in the sense of it teases out further threads of the adventures or the quests that might happen or the world as a whole. And Dave, you did a great job of this with the town you created as part of Slavers, the Slavers Bay yeah. campaign. For context, we were sent from the city where we were slaves to go investigate a problem going on further out in the hinterlands in a town that was being conquered by that city, but was sort of joining them. But that town had its own stuff going on. So we get into that town and what do we start finding? Secrets, secrets, secrets. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's there, there's like there's rumors of giant crocodiles invading the town. There's hags around the town. There's this random old dude who is very clearly a powerful mage who wants nothing to do with us. He's all mystery. Like, what are you talking no, about? He was he was totally not a total mage that had special whomping trees outside of his little hut. What? <laughs> Stop. He, he had rainbow whomping willows outside of his <laughs> hut. Like like that's the stuff that makes it interesting because then the player's like, oh. All right, well, I want to find out what that is. And they get caught up in it. And ideally, those things go deeper, right? So like that town, your town that you made up from scratch, had a tunnels leading out of the cheap inn in the city, going out to slavers and to, I believe, a hag or something else out there. Like I, I, we kind of left off as we were discovering that. Like that was yeah, the last you guys had headed out into the, the, the dark woods, as it were, uh, because yeah. that was kind of where it was leading you. But with that said, in all honesty, as I've said before, that's that town, that whole first part of that adventure was me taking an existing adventure and canoodling with it and playing around with it and changing it into the world where I was playing. So I took this town and I made it into Thrace. Where where did that come from? Then? What was the what was the base town that came from? It is uh, that first part of the adventure is against the cult of the reptile god. The original, really? like the original, uh, you know, AD and D, uh, whatever code number it was. Yeah, I got the idea to to play with it from Matt Colville. That either that or the village of Hamlet. He uses and has reskinned into his own towns that he uses as his starts for his adventures again and again and again in the campaign, because he said, like, they're so built out that he doesn't need to worry about any of that stuff. He just gets to start playing with story and with quests and with adventures and plot hooks and stuff like that, 
Um, you know, but that goes back again to what we were talking with the kit bashing thing. But yeah, I completely, I just turned it into Thrace instead. And I stole that from, because I was playing a lot of Spartacus stuff at the time. I, too. Spartacus, yeah. I mean, <laughs> shit, I had you guys fight a hill giant named Theocles. So, you know, come on. We did start a slave gladiator, so that is true. Yeah. Everybody would totally get that. But with your uh, layers, you can have depth in your town. But the way to really approach that that would not bury everybody in lore is to reveal certain sections in different games. So as they stick around, then more yeah. can become visible. You can bring in elements from other sections of the town. So you kind of keep the first game that involves the town localized. And then you can kind of expand the map, if you will, over time. Yeah. However, with what you have there needs to be a degree of attachment because if that's going to be their home base, that's going to be part of the character's motivation. If they don't give a rat's shit about the town or where they live or where they came from, they sure as hell are not going to defend it with their lives or care that people went missing from it or any of the <laughs> crap ass, you know, things people are going to come to them with, you know, they're like, Oh no, my, my child's been stolen by goblins. You'd be like, well, that sucks. I'm leaving. I hate this town then you're not going to get that buy-in. It's already blown. No, it's true, Tony. Uh, that's I, Obviously, we, we couldn't play with that much in the Strahd campaign because that's not the basis of that adventure. It's not, it's not based out. Like, you go into some towns, but they are just part of the big, large thing. It's a little more linear in that way. But with the Frostmaiden campaign, they're in 10 towns, and you start them in one of the towns, and they urge you towards the idea of building the first tier out into them helping 10 towns survive the the rhyme the, the everlasting night so you start to build up it's these it's quests within the towns themselves to build those connections with these people and i would say one thing that you should definitely do when you're building a town is only build enough the skeleton like Thorne was saying to improv certain things because you have to see where your players are going to get involved. Because for instance, in Frostmaiden, the tavern that I had them all in essence finally come to, they didn't uh, start there, but they finally came to it was the North Look, which is the big tavern in uh, Bryn Shander where they are. But I also decided to put a couple extra things in Bryn Shander, since it's a giant city within 10 yeah. towns, it's the biggest one. It's it's big, big. So you need stuff. They're going to want to do things. So I went on the wiki and I found that Renderals Emporium is there. So that gave me a place that could be this kind of fancy joint. Renderals is the place that they're going back to all the time because Renderal has now, in essence, as I've said in previous casts, become their patron in a way because they started to play with him. In terms of the role play. So they told me, we want Renderall. This is our guy. You know, they'll deal with the bartender, Scram Sacks, <laughs> over at the North Look. And there's some rumors and stuff there. But Renderall's is the place that became kind of a little more uh, adventure home base, let's say. You know, but I wouldn't have known that going in. Well, Renderall's has the magic items, right? Not really. I mean, I gave them a couple healing potions. But I can't give them a ton of magic stuff because... The nature of it is similar to Barovia, where this place is 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 cursed by the rhyme right now. Like there's no trade happening. So people are starting to run out of supplies. They're starting to run out of things. So 
everything became a little more premium. So their healing potions turned into some gold and favors. And then those favors then turn into quest points where I say, oh, can you do me a favor? Head over to this town and figure out what's going on. There's the adventure, you know. <laughs> so I can't stroll in there and throw my gold down on the table and say, I want to belt a fire giant strength. Not not currently, not currently. Yeah, I do not. They have not met. Um, oh crap! I'm doing. A, it's a brain fart. Because I personally, Elios, Elios, the giant, the, the giant oh. man in the sky. Oh yeah, they haven't met him yet. Even <laughs> though I plan on like, I we've been playing so much now with the shared universe with our Marvel campaign. I'm starting to play around with the idea of the shared universe between all of our campaigns in some fashion, and I don't know how it'll work. I don't well, think you me, can include Woodstock though, because I can't have my work That's pull off. I can't. That's right. I will sue you off. if you use Woodstock. No, uh, <laughs> but those games are in the same world uh, against well, the Giants. Been Shander in Storm yeah. King. And we yeah, went and Jenner's and yeah, exactly. So you guys really totally could. You could just you could just take over and start tag team DMing Forgotten Realms the way you tag team DM Marvel superheroes. Maybe get Chris in there to do a game or two. Oh, to do a well, thing. He's about to do uh, the jungles of Chult, so that's Wait, just that's real, a, same too. universe. There yeah. you go. Same universe. Oh my god, it's it's written in the stars. There now the is. big question here is where has Yang planted his his mercenary his imperial uh, warlord, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, where, where is Yang's kingdom in all of this? His warlord kingdom. They just carved gonna, out of the living city. I don't know. I think maybe you're going to have to do a, a little one-shot number of the, you know, the adventures of Yang. Well, you know, I will show um, up in TPK the entire party. Absolutely. <laughs> He's on speed dial. You can only do that <laughs> if Dave, Dave uses Erasmus as an NPC, so he, I could have officially been in four different campaigns. Oh wow! Yeah, no, yeah, that actually right. could happen. Could happen. Oh, I mean, that's how that is how Elminster became Elminster, right? That, Wasn't he know, character? All, well, that and all those Gandalf references and connections that don't exist. Yes. Well, and my character is the most awesome wizard of all time. <laughs> but I mean, in essence, isn't this kind of how going back to those things, Elminster, Morning King, and City of Greyhawk? Those were all things from the home games of Gary and Arneson and, and all these guys. So they were building out these towns. And I don't think that Greyhawk just appeared perfectly. One day he decided to, to draw all of Greyhawk. I think it happened piece by piece, adventure by adventure, as was required. Well, we, know that because, we know that because of the, the Castle Greyhawk. Yeah. You know, parody slash fiasco slash middle <laughs> finger to Gary Gygax. However you want to look at it, we called it one of the one of the best adventures ever. But that is, I mean, clearly they didn't have it all figured out. Although this is maybe a good, better reason why we should put all of our shared campaigns in a different world that we create. <laughs> because, you know, while she's already already trademarked all the Greyhawk stuff, if we put it in our own world, maybe we can put that together. That's true. I can change all the names. That's it. No, this can... is this is Barakia. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is, no, not Barovia. It was just, you start building out the world of Woodstock, which does already have Strahd showing up to some extent. That is true. If you guys want to have a giant tentacle monster time bomb at the center of your campaigns. He, he, he can go to sleep. He doesn't need a feature every time, but he's down there. But think about it. Like, I'm thinking right now, like, building out the town, like, until you need to... To, to use it. I'm thinking of, it popped in my head, the next generation, or even the original Star Trek, right? You didn't know where most of the stuff in the Enterprise was until something needed to happen there, right? I mean, aside from the bridge and 10 forward and engineering, right? Like yeah. you started to find quarters or 
holodeck stuff or uh, where they would do the plays and shit because they had time to like do Shakespearean stuff and learn trombone and whatever. I don't know. But clearly they've gone to like a three day work week or something or four hour shift or something. Or hang out with this cat. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, things appeared that were, quote, always there, but you didn't need to build it out until it needed to be there. You know. Well, t- we actually we've recently done a we've been rewatching the next generation. Ten forward shows up in the second season. It doesn't exist in season one. It's introduced, I believe, first episode of season two along with Whoopi Goldberg. Really? I wow. think so. Yeah. And I mean that's that, budget. And ten forward literally factors so much into that show, right? I mean, it becomes the Later, hub yeah. in essence. So there's a great a great point. Yeah, it doesn't show up for 24 episodes or whatever it was. You can always have another surprise in your town. There's another building they didn't know about. There's a jazz club somewhere they didn't know about. There's there's an underground gang they didn't know about. There's a new beggar's guild, beggar king, doing some kind of shenanigans. There is someone stealing corpses to build a flesh golem somewhere. You know, you can do a lot of stuff. There's, you know, there's that guy, you know, maybe one of the merchants, like a merchant of exotic goods is actually a high-level archmage. Who runs that right. as a front just so he can get his his material and stuff? You know, it's yeah. uh, you could have you know there can be a wizard college with all the shenanigans you get out of that. You know, there's so many things you can put in your town. And the one argument I would make for building your own towns versus copying a town, and it's not that you can't copy a town, but the one argument I would make is you get to put in the things that excite you, mm. and that is a different kind of feeling because you could say every city gets a wizard college and a fighters guild and all this stuff. But if you build it yourself, you get to decide what you want to play with and what's powerful and what's not and where are the you know, where are the bodies buried, you know, hmm. literally, because you get to decide where the graveyards are. I so would we've... never strongly modify printed material. That would never happen. <laughs> 97%. Um, <laughs> with that said, so it's easy There was to a Storm say, King in that adventure. You know, it's easy to say, like, things don't need to really be there until they're there, kind of the quantum idea. But if you are... Because I know we've we've all done this in some fashion. Uh, Thorne, we did it in Woodstock. We started in the town of Woodstock. Now, it was a small little mining town, right, that outpost. So it didn't need to have a – It actually wasn't wasn't really that small because it actually had a pretty – there was a lot of stuff coming through there. It was new. It was new, but it was actually – it was kind of like – like in frontier terms, it was more like a Denver or a – maybe not Denver, more like a – like it was one of the, it was it was a hub town. It wasn't okay. just like it wasn't like it wasn't like um it, it wasn't like uh, Tombstone. You know, it wasn't right. like a tiny town. It was bigger than that. And it did have I put a bunch of stuff in it. Some of what you guys you got had, to say. Yeah, and you had right from the very game one, you had very specific things that you had already built out to some level, right? Yeah. I already had certain things within the city of Zaprora for Slavers Bay built out because that was while it was based off an idea for a city, I built it out myself into what I kind of wanted and how it worked in terms of the government and stuff. I didn't build out all of it, but I had very specific things set because I felt like it needed it needed that framework. So what is what do you need to have for the framework, right? For that first session to get through, right? What what are the things? Well, if you're drawing from improv. And if that's part of your motivation, I think you should consider what is going to drive your players to explore your town. What is going to interest them? Are they looking for someone 
That's part of their religion. Are they looking for a thieves contact? Is how does magic work? Are they going to find is this a high magic world where, you know, you may have a nice conversation with the wizard, have a cup of coffee with him and he gives you a scroll. Here you go, son. Here's a level one spell. Go learn something. Or are these really hard to find rare things in there? Are there secrets, clues, rumors, uh, gambling to occur? plot threads, so forth and so on. And how valuable is going after that to your game? Or the questions come to you? This is a combination of things, right? When you're building out your town to begin with, you're going to put in things you're excited to play with that you think the players will be excited to play with. But like Dave was saying, and and in part to me also like you're saying, you don't know where the players are going to go. So you don't want to over-design things. You do, though, is you put in the things you think are cool. Because that tends to be things your players will think are cool too. So, you you know, kind of putting in you don't you don't put in a hundred layers, but if you think having a a secret wizard running this place is fun, you put that in. It's almost like building out your town is first. It's you know building kind of that just general structure government of okay, if the players get in trouble or if they got to do something for the town, who are they talking? You got to put that in place. Is it a sheriff? Is it a duke? Is it the mayor? You just need to kind of okay no. When the players, when they're interacting with someone, you need to know who they're interacting. Who rewards them when they when they go on a quest for the city? Who arrests them when they're caught robbing a place? Who tries to kill them if they don't come quietly? You need who that tra- Who trades goods? Yeah, who trades right. goods? Who puts them up for the night? Where yeah. do the quests come from? Like, that's kind of your framework. But after that, then you do a little brainstorm. Like, honestly, like, when I was writing up Woodstock, it was almost just, a, it's just almost a brainstorming session of, okay, that sounds cool. That sounds neat. That sounds cool. And you just put stuff in there that you think could be fun to play with. And then you let the players loosen it and you see what they pick up, like Dave was saying, and what they don't. Tony made a really good point earlier in that you don't want to give them all your all these thousand details up front. And you absolutely don't. Like you really do want to just kind of whatever they start rocking onto is what they're going to find out about this session. And maybe next session we explore that deeper, or maybe next maybe we wrap this up this session and we go explore something else next session. But, you know, you put the pieces in, but you don't totally flesh them out until you know where the players are going. And you absolutely do not, like, you don't, like, although this could be fun, you don't, like, hand them a hundred rumors in one <laughs> list. At the same time, what could be fun is if you had, like, That's a paper on the side of the street. Just what the could... town crier just keeps yelling random plot quests every time he passes by them. Lord Dargar is a lich. You know what? You know what could you know what could be fun though is if you had a beggar when they come in selling a map, like a map to the stars' homes. Oh, Christ! A map to the secrets of our of this city, and like half so half of it's bullshit and half of it's real. You know, the players and maybe the players just start investigating it that way. Something like that can be neat. Like that's that's a fun thing to play with, right? Um, I would say Woodstock Wanderers was fun for the newness because we were all getting into the game for the first time and learning the mechanics. There's fun. There were some fun things in Woodstock, but it wasn't also why I built it. You know what I mean? It was more or less I built it to get you guys moving and get you guys off on your adventure. Yeah. If I was building that more kind of to really kind of be more interesting and like this, like we're talking about, I would have put a little more depth into some things. Um, but well, you know, I you guys still. I think yeah, that goes time, into so. the idea of are you is this town or the city the beginning of a campaign? Or somewhere in the middle that you come upon in your travels, because I think that also is going to change very much what's needed in it and what needs to be there. 
because they're going to be, you know, the beginning town. It's the beginning of the whole thing. The whole story starts there. That that looks a lot different than the town you're coming through on your way to, let's say, trying to fight the Malbion or whatever, right? Or find yeah. where the where the uh, you know the storm giants might be hiding or whatever it is. Uh, you're you're going to be a little more focused when you arrive at certain towns if it's middle campaign, let's say, right? Yeah, and then it's kind of more of a brief, more of a stopover kind of point. One thing that uh, I totally agree with Dave on is that yes. you, you took, yeah, no, save for this moment. But uh, you, uh, one of the shopkeepers is something your players got invested in. And it's probably not a key point. You look at it and say, wow, this shopkeeper's the shit. Look at this guy. He's got tackle and he's got, <laughs> you know, he's got all these iron rations. Like this guy is so cool. And you fleshed out this person. Not only tackle, he has bait as well as tackle. Right. You dressed <laughs> up to play his, his character. You worked on the voice. No, he was probably just a character. And then something developed out of there and has now become a point of investment with your characters. Um, when I'm teaching my girlfriend how to play and she wound up saving some kobolds that any other player I ever played with would have wiped off the face of the earth without an afterthought. And now she cares about them and how they're doing. And she checks on them and it's a point of investment. That's fucking phenomenal. It's, it's free material. Can I just say that is phenomenal. Your girlfriend's a dragon. She might be. She, she, she has kobold followers. She's a dragon. She, I mean, she, you know, okay, it might not be with the spirit is letter of the law, but it's in the spirit of the law. <laughs> <laughs> but something like that happens, then, yeah, then you've now. Cre- I mean, come on, we've all had this moment where a bit character just ran away. And the next thing you know, you're still dealing with this bit character. Now they're part of your story. Five literally seasons. every time. I mean, literally every time. Right. And Everyone's always baby Walter. This is a this is a complete side note here, but when people ask in the similar fashion about building out NPCs and what you need to do, and it's like it, don't put too much thought into it because they're not going to go to the the wizard with the flaming crown upon his head that's in an orb asking them what they want adventure. They're going to go talk to Sam Smorkel, the janitor, right? That's the guy that they're going to be like, we need to find out. Like, Sam is the linchpin to this whole thing. We, we blew it wide open, you know? You would like to hope they would, go after, they would ask the guy where he got his shiny crown from. You would think so, but, you know. <laughs> hey, yeah, they might. They might, but they're not going to get in. They're not going to be invested in him in the same way as the kobolds. And also, just on a side note, too, about the kobolds of being a dragon, I feel like that's the Marvel meme where you're explaining that. And then I'm like, it's out of line, but he's right. <laughs> <laughs> Is she playing a dragonborn by chance? That'd be perfect. Nope. Uh, ah, that's a shame. Could be a plot it's twist, except she loves the podcast, so that's just oh, shut yeah. down. No dragon blood. No, not happening. <laughs> Unless it oh, is. Man. Okay, we'll see. They can just decide she's a dragon. She's their new dragon, and they worship her now. I'm going to, like, put that in an envelope and seal it, and then we're going to leave it be. I'll bring it out like, seven games. <laughs> but that that is a good point, because it goes back to what we're talking about with the players, in essence, building out the town by telling you or showing you what they're invested in. So let's take a city like, because I know that they do this with Waterdeep, that there are kobolds underneath and throughout the city that are kind of tinkerers and they're involved in like the inner workings of like, I don't know whether it's like the water system or something. 
Anyway, there's this whole thing. If we have Tony's girlfriend's character in there and she gets invested in the kobolds, that changes what I care about in Waterdeep and what needs to get built out a lot more. It's like when Hermione in Harry Potter decides to go on a on a, a, a you know become an activist for the house elves. Yeah, it yeah, completely it changes where am I going? What needs to happen? You know, what mercantile shop do I need to build now or think about because of what they're where they have now focused, you know, they've gone from infinite possibilities to now this is where they're focused in on. It's funny. That actually reminds me of this world. There's um, if you read some of the Moist Van Lipwig, some of those That's novels right. like Going Postal, Making Money. And they're all kind of about the uh, Lord Ventanari, who is the benevolent dictator of the city, has this con man. And he takes the con man and says, I would like to put you in charge of the post office, which is a failing mess. No one would ever want to have to deal with. And Moist is like, well, what if I say no? Well, then you can leave through that door. And he goes and checks the door, and the door is like a bottomless pit straight down. And he comes <laughs> back and says, okay, so I'll be the postman. Yes, fantastic. <laughs> Here's your shiny hat. But as they're building that out, you start running into stuff like, okay, there's a golem in the post office. Golem is free labor in this world. But then there's also a character who is running a golem resistance. Like like, like she's, she's trying to organize the golems, get them unionized. And it's the same kind of thing. You start getting interested in this kind of, okay, well, how does this work? How do these people feel about their lives? Because you know, you don't want to lose sight of this. A town is really a collection of the people in it. And when your players are in that town, but like Tony was saying, you want them invested in how the other people feel. And I'll go a step further and say how the other people act and interest the players is going to go a long way to how invested the players get in that town. That's why you need your secrets. You know, that's why you need that depth and the onion layers in your town not that you want to overwhelm people with them. You might only find one per per session or one per month or one per five sessions, however you want to do it. But you want that stuff. You want them to always be like, well, what's under this rock? Because looking under rocks is how you get into adventures. Very true. One thing that could be uh, a negative with towns with that is when they find out that everything is so interconnected that they have no room to work. For example, yeah. if you're a rogue and you're like, well, I'm going to shoplift. Well, this guy who looks perfectly ordinary is connected with this other people who's connected with those other guys who's connected to that circle of 16th level mages. <laughs> and I've absolutely had that in the game. And I'm, I'm not leaving this stupid town. F this place. Don't mess with me. My uncle's friend is like an archmage. Yeah. <laughs> or there's like eight other archmages. I'm like, F these guys. Or no matter what you do, there's a guild. There's a guild that suddenly pops up. It's like, no, you got to join the guild to do that thing. Tell me, you've never broken, you've been doing something in a town, and you try to steal something or mess with someone, and the guards are the most powerful individuals in the universe. It's like there's 45 He-Mans that all run up to you and freaking tackle you to the ground. You're like, you're done. Nope, no shoplifting that candlestick. No, they have the power. <laughs> Let's go deeper into this, because this is an interesting aspect of, your, of, of how do you build a town. Yeah. How tough do you make the guards? Because on the one hand, I got to say, like, I feel like if a thief is trying to steal something and it gets caught, it shouldn't be that easy for him to just beat up a couple guardsmen and run off and get lost in the night and never be seen again. On the other hand, if you steal something and you are now hounded for life and you have to leave the city, that's not fun. It totally yeah. depends on the what's the it? philosophy of the city or town. What is the is basis? It, what's the archetype? Is it based on that or is it based on what your players want? 
Is it based on the town philosophy or is it based on your player's philosophy? I think it should be very uh, deeply rooted in power curve. And one place where that shit the bed, and I'll never forget this, is playing Ultima 1. And you could try to steal something completely innocuous in town. Like you have a thief, he could steal, and you'd be like, okay, I walk up and I steal, I don't know, food. Something that costs that uh, a mundane item. These guards would come at you that each one of them had nearly the fighting power of an actual dragon. It was preposterous. I'm like, why is this world falling to shit? Just send the guards out. <laughs> they don't have to overbear this dragon. Go punch him in the face. Like, get like 16 of these guys. It's like there was legions of them. And there's, of course, this the infamous game where the king had unlimited hit points. Just send that guy out. He can't be stopped. Well, I think that's a little. I think that's a little different than where I was heading and where I think Thorin was going, though. In the sense of where I was going with it is, it's the archetype. What is the town like? Because I'll take the Slavers Bay campaign again. <clears throat> the city of Zaprora was a growing city state. It was its own, and it was starting to show its influence into more imperial uh, notions into its world, into its neighboring uh, cities and towns. And that's kind of what started the adventure. Now, something like lawlessness in the city of Zaprora is going to be met with fierce and swift justice. The end, boom, boom, done. So if you pickpocket in there, that's going to be a lot different than if you roll into Thrace, the newly acquired town that's now that it's been destabilized. It was already kind of a free city-ish kind of place, uh, whatever. That's going to look a lot different when you're in that town. You know, if you're in Tombstone, that's going to act a lot different than if you're in Dodge City or something. I don't know if I'm getting those right. I don't know the why. I think it's just well, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like if I'm sitting in some shit town burg in the nowhere south, that's going to look a lot different than if I'm in Manhattan, let's say, right? Hmm. So, yeah, now I mean, in all seriousness, I'm supposed to care about a town and I'm supposed to be invested in field attention when the town's in trouble, when there's 16 10th level fighters standing around trying to protect, you know, the marketplace from someone trying to pickpocket. I'd hate to be a rogue in that town. I'm like, man, I picked the wrong character for this campaign. <laughs> Level yeah, 10 it, rogue. I've never stolen a goddamn thing. Not me. Depends like on the type of what is it saying. It's like your quest is to save the town, but you're like, look, the town can take care of itself. Every time I do oh, anything yeah. in the town, they whoop my ass. They can take care of themselves. Oh, yeah. You don't need to save that town. But there should be some towns where you can't just roll in and murder hobo your way through. Right. It should be able to be given a fight or else. Why is this town still in existence? Because any band of roving marauders would have destroyed them and burned everything to the ground. It is. And it's kind of a tough question, because on the one hand, sometimes it's DMs. We can be overly harsh on punishing lawlessness in the game. And it can make it unfun for players who wanted to play with lawlessness. On the other hand, you don't want everything to be a pushover. Right. I mean, it should be hard to be. If, look, if stealing was the best way to make a living in that town and there was no repercussions, everyone would be a thief. Right. Right. So it's like you kind of need to split the difference between there is a competent and fairly strong police force that can deal with the players up until about at least, I'd say, fifth to seventh level is probably where the players start out distancing them. But they're not so overwhelming that every time someone gets spotted, they get jumped by 15 cops. Right. It's like. 
it's like okay the night watch the city watch is looking for you maybe they call it maybe someone let them know you did something but you need to have like sewers to escape down you need to have ways for the thieving character to kind of dodge out somehow and get hidden or maybe they need to be part of a guild to kind of get a little special treatment like that but i think you kind of need to you need to have a strong enough militia to protect the town strong enough town guard to at least make it risky to do something lawless but not so strong that you can't play with these ideas you know not so strong that it stomps out the player's agency essentially Mm. no uh, i think that's a very uh, solid point and if you have you know like Baldur's gate you have reputation so if you were out there doing crazy shit and you were murdering people and you got caught and seen so people in the area would freak out. Other people would come after you. And eventually you'd start having bounty hunters chasing you. Then nobody would deal. But if your reputation really tanks, then you know what? They started charging you higher prices. Which the, those who would still deal with you. You were hounded by guards, knights. Not every five minutes, but it happened. You got all kinds of new random encounters would spawn and you'd have to deal with that. Yeah. Just don't let it be to the point where I murdered somebody in the woods and, oh, shit, I'm in town. And the guards are there cracking their nightsticks. They're like, oh, yeah, we know you killed Nick. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the other thing, right? If Or if your guards do know that kind of stuff, you got to explain how they do. You know, like, maybe they were scrying. Maybe there is some kind of magic scrying security system that tells them exactly who did everything. That should be a secret in the town that gets revealed at some point. It's like the weird medieval minority report movie. <laughs> like they're just right. the three triplets are scrying all the time on everyone. They're just a thought police. Uh, Tom Cruise will get to the bottom of this. All right, guys, we've been talking about this for a while now. I think we've covered most of the points that were in Jedi Shocker's email. So let's wrap up with some final thoughts. What are your final thoughts on building good towns and cities for your role-playing games? Uh, I certainly have to say that your point with the town having layers is very solid. I just would be careful on to what degree, just like with lower tolerance, you put out there. You can have some foundations of things you want to reveal in a game or two or three. That's okay. Use as needed. If you have an opportunity where role play becomes explosive, run with it. Do not quash that. That is a fantastic opportunity where you've now zeroed in on player investments. You're giving, you just, there's a fountain of free material where they're like, oh, I care about this particular abbey and what's going on here. Oh, and there's orphans. And then next thing you know, it's expanding. And it becomes a real point of interest, maybe almost as much as like one of the top levels of the plot itself. I would say there is a definitely a difference between town versus city. That's going to look a lot different and you're going to have to do a lot of different things depending on them. It also matters if it's the beginning of the campaign, like I was just saying before, or the middle of the campaign. Is this the beginning of the entire story where it's infinite possibilities that will then start to narrow down? Or are you already narrowing down and this is a stop through point? Know your players, as we say all the time, because do they look in every single drawer and open every door and they want to know everyone in town and they want to have a big block party? Or are they in and out? They want to go in, they want to buy some things get a drink at the tavern and head out plan for the session so only build out from the center out where there's going to be starting in and outwards and i would say take a look download the pdf of the village of hamlet take a look at how that town the village of hamlet itself is built out 
and then crack any of your current 5e adventure books and take a look at any of the towns and see how they're built out that's going to give you a lot of different things to play with whether you want to go super incredibly detailed that they're not going to get to 90 percent of it or have to build out some things on the fly maybe during game to see when the players tell you what they want you what they want to investigate and look into yeah yeah and uh for me you know just going back to kind of what i had said throughout the podcast here it does start with knowing in general what is the structure of the town you want to know who runs it who the power is how the police work or how, how the guards work and just who are the, you know when the players do get up to the shenanigans players are going to get up to <laughs> who's going to step in who are they going to have to interact with after that you build in shops your inns your taverns Kind of what are the quest mechanics? So what are the other than the mayor giving them a quest or something? But where else might they get a quest? Who else might want some help? And then you come in and layer in some secrets. Don't over detail the secrets. And and Tony's right. Don't overwhelm the party with the secrets. Like you don't want the party to show up game one and be like, here's 25 things that you don't know about the town that ooh could be out here. Here's things you got to investigate. Mysterious. (laughs) Give your players one thing to investigate per session. (laughs) <laughs> one the rest of it's for later sessions you know, keep some mystery in it you, your town doesn't need to go you know, open kimono in the first game it's uh, that's too fast way too yeah, you don't have to just send them a dick pic right off the bat okay <laughs> build up to it people but but having those in there because the reason i like having those in there is one it does give you that extra depth and players tend to like investigating it secrets yeah. are wildly important yeah yeah because one of the problems you can run into when you're always responding to what the players want is you can lose the opportunity to play with what you want to play with. Layering in secrets, layering in these other things that you know you want to play with lets you at least put that stuff in play. So you'll know where it is, you'll know where you can bring it up. So you're not constantly, I mean, because it is nice to be able to build out what the players want to interact with, but there's a there's a counter to that. There's a, there's a balance there, right? Because you got to also get to play with what you want to play with. Otherwise, you're you're just there doing what they want to do. You know, you oh, absolutely. Do what you want to do. No, uh, when they um when they come in and they tell you what who they want to talk to and all of that, like I'll like Renderal's Emporium. Renderal is still giving out the secrets or the clues or the ideas that I'm aware of. In that way, that's their their juncture point. But I still control that flow of information. I I open or close that valve as necessary. I think that is uh, how we build these cities on rock and rolling d20s. <laughs> Boom! Nice. Hey guys, build I had a good time talking city. to you guys about this. Now I'm gonna go build a town. You know, do it. Just start writing, writing, writing. Three days later, I come out. You know, I'm all disheveled. I have it. It's like you know, coming out with the Ten Commandments or something. <laughs> thank, thank you very much for joining the episode, and thank you all for listening at home to another episode of Three Wise DMs. Now, this episode came from a listener suggestion, so if you have a suggestion, please send it to threewisedms at gmail.com. Go to our website, threewisedms.com, put it in the What's Your Problem field, or send it to us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. This actually came in as an Instagram message. We work with stuff in the shows all the time, and we would love to be able to help you with the issues you're having in your game. So anything you'd like to hear us talk about, please send it in. Now, if you like what you're hearing, we would love it if you could hit that five-star rating button, leave a positive review, let your friends know. All that stuff really helps us grow. We've been growing really fast, and that's thanks to you. So thank you all very much for the support you give us. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs. Thank you.